Good morning. We are blessed to have you this morning. It's a cold day, but you are here, and we're so thankful for that. If you've got your Bibles, turn with us to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We'll be reading the first section of this in just a moment. We are delighted to have each of you with us. We have guests with us. We're glad you could be with us today as well as we come to honor our God, whom we love so much. Yesterday's little snowfall for us down here was beautiful, and it brings to mind some scriptures where the prophet Isaiah says, though your sins will be as white or as scarlet, they'll become white as snow. And when that little snow blankets everything, covers everything, reminds us of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. What a blessing that is. I want to tell you a little bit about this evening. This evening, the shepherds have decided to kind of deviate from our normal schedule and to have something special. And we really want to encourage everybody to be with us this evening. So, so many in our church family right now are going through all kinds of things. We've had surgeries and several are in rehab or recovery mode. We've had those who got surgeries on the schedule. It's going to be happening very soon. We've had funerals. We've had those who are going through other difficulties, long-time illnesses and treatments and things like that. So this evening, what we want to do is we want to bring everybody together and have a special prayer session. We have picked out some special songs we think would be very meaningful for this. And we're going to name names, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. We want to lift you up to the God of heaven. And we want you to know that we love you, we care for you, and as so many of you are going through so many difficult things, you do not go alone. And so that's going to be a special service for you tonight. And we hope you can come and be a part of that. I think it will be very encouraging for all of us as we think about that. John chapter 15. We'll be there in just a moment. It is a common scene in all busy airports. You see just a throng of people just going everywhere like a herd of cattle. They're just moving about. As you're walking through the, the airport, you hear announcements on the loudspeakers. There's those little beeping golf carts that are taking people from here to there. You see long lines at the coffee shop or the snack place. You see luggage and luggage and luggage and backpacks and backpacks and backpacks. And it looks like a jungle. And in nearly every airport I've been, I've seen this scene repeated over and over. There's a young family who are hurrying as fast as they can to get to a gate to catch their plane. And tagging behind is a little boy pulling his little roller suitcase. It's going sideways and falling back and forth, and it's not doing very well. And the dad turns around and says, keep up, stay with me. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about staying with Jesus. We began a series last Sunday evening, four-part series. We're doing it from John chapter 13, 14, and 15. Jesus, in this section, tells his disciples multiple times, I am leaving. I am leaving, and you cannot come with me. Let's just grab a couple of these examples. It begins that way in John 13, verse 1, where there the text tells us, Now, the, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing his hour had come, that he should depart from them. In the same chapter, in verse 36, Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Chapter 14 says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, For I go to prepare a place for you. Sprinkled throughout these three chapters over and over, the Lord says, I am leaving. I am leaving. I am leaving. 
Now, he's been with them for three years. He's been the one that's always calmed their nerves. He's calmed the storms. He's driven demons out. He's answered the Pharisees and the charges and the accusations. Jesus has always, always been there. But now I am leaving. And in John 13, 14, and 15, we find four lessons he gives us. And we're walking through them one by one. Last week, as we looked at chapter 14, it was simply, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be distressed. Don't be in turmoil. I'm leaving. Believe. Believe in me is what he says. So the second lesson he's going to introduce to us is this idea of stay with me. Stay with me. Now, the text doesn't use that phrase. What the text uses is the wonderful word, abide. In fact, in this chapter alone, in 1 John 15, excuse me, John 15, the word abide is used 10 times. John loves the word abide. When you read his first letter, 1 John, he uses it 15 times there. And so it, it is a favorite passage of John, to, to stay with Jesus, to abide with Jesus. Now, what's interesting and what presents a, a dilemma for us, Jesus says, I'm leaving, but abide. Well, now, how can I abide with you when you're not going to be here? That presents a question, doesn't it? Are we going to have a Zoom meeting on Mount Galilee somewhere? Are we going to go over here and, and have a red phone we call heaven? How can we abide with you when you've told me over and over and over that you are leaving? And that's what John 15 is all about. And we're going to talk to you about that. Let's read now the section, John 15 and the first 11 verses. John 15, verse 11 verses. It says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Excuse me, that's chapter 14. That was last week. Chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear much more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned up. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you, whatever you wish, it shall be done for you. But this is my father, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Verse 9 says, Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be complete, that your joy may be made full. Did you catch abide, 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 over and over, Jesus is saying this. I am leaving you. I'm not going to be here, but I want you to abide in me. Now, let's talk about this vine and the branches. The father is the vine dresser or the gardener, we would say. It is his job, as it says, to cut off the dead branches. It is his job, the pastor tells us, to prune and to get more fruit out of those things. Jesus is described as the true vine. This is one of the many I am statements in the book of John. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the light. I am the good vine. And you and I, we are the branches. 
And we are the branches that bring forth the fruit that God wants us to have. Now, there are three simple principles we begin with. And one of the first principles that we have to understand is you have to stay connected to Jesus if you want life. This is an essential relationship. Some of you might have gotten flowers last Wednesday for Valentine's Day. By this Wednesday, they'll probably be in a trash can. Why? Because they have died. They have been cut off from a rose bush, and they cannot live. And so the vine can survive without the branches. But the branches cannot survive without the vine. That's the principle we see before us. Now, the life he's talking about here is spiritual life. And so we would see, for instance, in John 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. What kind of life is he talking about? Spiritual life, eternal life, life with the Father is what he's describing there. And so what Jesus is showing us here is if you want spiritual life, you must be connected to Jesus. There is no other way. This is an essential relationship. Now, the Bible shows us there's a lot of folks that exist, but they don't have life. For instance, in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, but she who gives herself to wanted pleasure is dead even while she lives. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of this air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them whom too we all formerly lived in lust of flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. How do dead become alive? They are connected to Jesus. To have spiritual life, you must be connected to Jesus. Light years ago, if you could have been with me at Purdue University, I studied forestry. One of my classes was botany, study of plants, living things. And one of the things you learn as you study botany is the value of roots that's below the soil. They pull up nutrients, they pull up moisture, and that keeps the plant alive. That's why the branches have to be connected to the vine. On their own, they have no roots. On their own, they do not survive. So Jesus Christ is a spiritual nutrient that gives us life, that keeps us alive. We have to be connected to Jesus. Now, again, we're going to come back to this proposition. How can the disciples do that when Jesus was no longer there? But now through this, we need to understand, we need to appreciate, as we think about this lesson and we think about what the Lord's saying here is, the devil is going to do all he can to disconnect you from Jesus. He's going to try to cut you off from that vine. He's going to try to pull the plug on that. Because if he can disconnect you from Jesus, you're going to die spiritually. You have to be connected to Jesus. There is no life, spiritually, without Jesus. And so, as 1 Peter says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He will try to tempt you. He will try to discourage you. He will try to hurt you. He will try to cripple you. All those things are reflective because the devil understands as long as you're connected to Jesus, there is hope, there is future, there is eternal life. 
I pull the plug on you and Jesus and you are going to wither away. You're going to die spiritually. And so that tells us how important this is. The sheep that gets picked off is the one that's farthest away from the shepherd. And you look at that cute little lamb on that screen. And you look at that mean old wolf about to eat it. And in the background comes running the shepherd. Why, oh, why are we so far away from the shepherd? Why, oh, why do we get ourselves in trouble? We don't listen. We don't pay attention. We walk away from God, and we find ourselves in the mess. And so the vine and the branches, it is an essential relationship. Number two, we have to stay connected to Jesus if we want to become what God wants. And that's a productive relationship. In verse 2, verse 4, and verse 5, he uses this idea of bearing fruit. God wants us to bear fruit. You remember way back in the book of Genesis when God made Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Can you imagine Adam saying, well, you know, God, even I talked, and we decided we don't want any kids. Well, none of us would be here, would we? If our own parents had said that, none of us would be here, would we? But this idea of being fruitful, as we think about that first point, is not physical fruit, it's spiritual fruit. And as long as we're connected to that vine, we are connected to Jesus, we bear much fruit spiritually. Now again, just notice how the Bible brings this out to us. It says in the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and his desires. Notice that little phrase, those who have belonged to Christ, those who are connected to Jesus. Why is it that some of us who were so mean are now nice? Why is it that some of us who were so stingy are now generous? Why is it some of us think so little of ourselves, but we're always thinking of others? It's not old age that gets you there. Old age will just make you grumpy. What gets you there is Jesus. You have been connected to the vine, and through the nutrients spiritually, you've learned to be like Jesus. Every one of those phrases there in Galatians 5 is Jesus. Jesus is love. Jesus is joy. Jesus is peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's Jesus. How do you become that way? How do I become that way? We are connected to Jesus. And we bear that fruit. Ephesians chapter 5. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Looking again at some passages. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Are you starting to see a little pattern here? You see, God doesn't want you to say, well, God, what do I get? I want to come to this church, and what will you provide for me? God, I will follow you, but what do I get out of this? That's not what we're reading, are we? What we're reading is, what do I give? What do I produce? What fruit do I bring forth? Again, James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, 
reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Again, that concept. So being connected to Jesus, it changes our character. That's where kindness and gentleness comes from. Where does it come from? I'm connected to the true vine. I'm connected to Jesus. I'm acting like Jesus. It changes our outlook. No longer selfish, no longer gloom and doom, no longer all about me. It's becoming like Jesus. And then it changes what we do. As the prophet Isaiah would say, hear my Lord, send me. No longer do we say, do I have to? No longer do we say, why should I? No longer do we say, what do I get out of it? I'm connected to the true vine who gave his very life for us. What happens to me? And so then, the third aspect we notice of this, we have to stay connected to Jesus if we want to please God. This becomes a glorified relationship. Now notice in John 15, verse 8, he says in this way, my father's glorified by this. By what? By you being connected to the vine. By you bearing much fruit. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified by these things. He's not impressed with your house. He's not impressed with your cars. He's not impressed with your collection of stuff. He's interested in your heart, your faith, and your convictions. By this, God is glorified. The by this is that you are connected to Jesus. By this, you're doing what God wants you to do. You parents understand this. You teach and you teach and you teach and you teach your kids. And then one day you're standing off. And one of your child go up to an adult. First of all, they wait their turn to speak. And then they use manners. And then they're thankful. And you look back and you think, yes, that's what I've been trying to get you to see. That's what God is trying to do with us. But this, but this expression, by this, also shows, by this, we prove that we are his. How do we prove that we are his? Because we're connected to Jesus and we're bearing much fruit. That's the idea that comes out of this. Now, what happens if I'm not connected to Jesus? I just want to go to church. I don't want any commitment. I don't want anyone to give me anything to do. I'll do it when I feel like it, and when I don't, I won't. What happens to me? Well, John 15 tells us, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You were made by God to glorify God. Your purpose in life is not getting that degree. Your purpose in life is not having that job. Your purpose in life is not defined by what you have in your 401. Your purpose in life is defined by your relationship with God. So to show you this, turn with me to Luke 16. In Luke 16, we get a little glimpse of somebody who had it all, but reality, he had nothing. Luke 16, and begin verse 19. He says, there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily lived in splendor every day. Verse 20 says, And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which are falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. 
Now it came about that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Here was a man, of, a, a picture of a man who had everything but nothing. His belly was full, his closet was full, but his heart was empty. He was a dead branch that brought no fruit to God. And so when you look at your life, you got to say, well, what have I done for Jesus? What, have I, what fruit have I bought, brought for him? How have I changed? How am I like Jesus? That's what he's telling his disciples. I'm leaving, but I want you to stay with me. I'm leaving, and I want you to abide with me. Now, the question is, how do you do that, Jesus? If you're not here, how do these apostles abide with you? If you're not here, how do we do this? And this is accomplished by staying with the word of God. And this is how we're going to end our lesson today. Let's run through some passages that emphasizes the value of your Bible in your life. The value of this is how you are connected to Jesus Christ is through the word of God. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. How are you with me when you're up there and I'm down here? It's through the word of God. That's how it is. So when, I, when the devil puts me far away from the Bible, I'm not going to be very close to Jesus. I've got a lot of things I've got to watch on TV today, and I don't have time to read my Bible. I'm tired. I don't have time to read my Bible. I've got a lot of things I need to work on. I don't have time to read my Bible. What does he do? He puts distance between me and Jesus. And guess what? I start withering. I stop bearing fruit. I'm no longer what God wants me to be. How do you stay with Jesus? It's through the word of God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 16. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. What is that standard? The standard is the word of God. Matthew chapter 11. He says, come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come, take, learn. That's how we get connected to Jesus. And he uses this little expression here of his yoke. His yoke is something that you put two oxen in between. It would allow them to pull a cart, but it also meant the idea of direction. Direction comes from God. You should do this. You should not do this. All of this is accomplished through the word of God. James chapter 1, another great passage. It says, therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word of God implanted, which is able to save your souls. The idea there of receiving the word. But prove yourselves, he says, doers of the word. You see that? There's that fruit coming out. Oh, I read about the kind Jesus. Man, I blew my horn at that guy who cut me off yesterday. Oh, I read about the compassionate Jesus, but I just turned away and walked away from somebody I could have helped. Oh, I read about the forgiving Jesus, but I will never forgive what this guy said to me. 
Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, having become a, not a forgetful hearer, but a factual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You ever notice in a basketball game when one of the players loses a contact? Timeout, and everyone's down the floor. What are they doing? They're looking intently. They don't just walk around and say, whoops, sorry about that, friend. No, they stop and they get down. They're looking intently. That's how he's describing us. We are looking intently. Why? Because I need to be connected to Jesus. I need to be bearing fruit. I need to be like Jesus. And so then we come to the book of Acts, and we notice the attitude of the early Christians. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. New American Standard simply says they were devoting themselves to this. Now, all of this to this point, for most of us, seems pretty simple. I want to take a little detour here for a minute. I want you to listen carefully to me. There's a lot of things being said on social media by members of the Church of Christ who ought to know better. And they're saying things, if it's not false doctrine, it's first cousin. Just this week, someone posted something about Romans chapter 1. They listed in Romans chapter 1, 25 sins that you find there. And you can read them. But then this person says, amazing to me, not one mention about doctrine. What's the conclusion? Live a good life, behave yourself, but what you believe really doesn't matter. But these folks, these folks were devoted to doctrine. And in that Romans 1 passage, it says, they exchanged the truth of God, what's that? That's doctrine, for a lie. Someone else has said just real recently, they don't like all the church stuff going on. What if we could just go back to Jesus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just start all over with Jesus. Our simple Jesus. Wouldn't it be better? The problem is, God gave us the whole Bible. It takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. God didn't just give us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God gave us all the New Testament. And he expects us to abide by that New Testament and to follow that New Testament. I mean, we could stand up here and say, you know, for a moment, let's imagine we could all live on Mars. Well, we can't. Let's imagine for a moment I have three heads. Well, I don't. Let's imagine for a moment all we have is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, we don't. We have all the Bible. And we need to read all that Bible. And understand that what God says to the Philippians is just as important as what he says in Matthew. And what he says over in the book of Acts is just as important as what he said in the book of Luke. All of it matters and we need all of it. The apostle would say in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that you may learn not to exceed what is written. Let's stay with what God has written the way God has written it. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Well, Why? How can I abide in you when you're up here and I'm down here? How can I do that? It's through faith 
It's through the scriptures. That's how that happens. And so when we think about this idea of staying with Jesus, it's through this that we become transformed to becoming like Jesus. And it's through this that we become a servant like God wants us to become. And through this, Jesus is never, never far away. He's right there because I read him every day in my Bible. And so stay with me through prayer. Stay with me through kingdom work. Stay with me through scriptures. And stay with me through faith. Over and over as Jesus in this section here is talking about I am leaving. His coming thought is abide with me. Stay with me. And when we do, we'll find him taking us all the way to heaven. That little family is hurrying to the airport. Mom and dad are going as fast as they can to get there before the gates close. The little boy's at back behind there. The dad says, keep up with me, stay with me. The dad will not board that plane until that little boy is with him. The God of heaven is going to be there for you if you stay with him. And so these thoughts are important for us. We, are, we have two more, Lord willing, in this series we're going to look at. He tells the disciples two more important lessons as he's leaving. But we need to see this. Don't let your hearts be troubled, believe in me. I'm leaving, but stay with me. And we stay with him through the scriptures. This morning, if you're not a Christian, isn't it time? And as you look at what you believe and what you're doing, is it according to the word of God? Have I stayed with Jesus? Or maybe I just walked clear on passive. Jesus stopped, but I kept on going. I don't know what's wrong with not having a rock band up here. I like rock bands. Let's have a rock band. You kept on walking. And Jesus stopped. Why do we have to have those little crackers and juice? Why couldn't we have Twinkies and milk this morning? I mean, I could eat a whole Twinkie right now. I'm kind of hungry. Because when you say that, you've walked past Jesus. He stopped and you kept going. Stay with me. Stay with me in how he wants you to be saved through baptism. Stay with him as how he wants the church to be conducted. Stay with him as you walk with God. Stay with him in faith. Stay with me. And guess what? When your time comes to go through that door of death, he's going to send his angels for you. And he'll be on the other side saying, I've been with you all this time. Now you're home. You're home where you belong. You know, one of the things that I hear a lot when I fly, and I fly quite a bit, is sometimes the flights are good, sometimes the flights are terrible, sometimes it reminds me I never want to fly again. But you get, you get to the airport, the people are there to pick you up, that first question they always ask you, how was your flight? And I used to always tell them, well, you know, I had this person beside me, and they, they didn't even breathe, they just talked the entire time. Or, you know, I had this guy beside me, and I think he took a bath in 1970 the last time. And uh, I used to tell people those stories. But now I tell people, it doesn't matter. I'm where I'm supposed to be. It doesn't matter. And as you think about some of the things some of you are going through, it's hard. Some of it may be the biggest test of your faith. But if you stay with Jesus, and once you're on that other side, it really doesn't matter. I am. Where I'm supposed to be. We can help you. Won't you come and stand and sing the song? <laughs>